Hello, and welcome to the Zeal for Your House podcast. My name is Caleb Griffith, and I'm so glad you've joined me today as we look into the Word of God to inform our minds, engage our hearts, renew our spirits, and save our souls. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Zeal for Your House podcast. With this episode, we are going to introduce a study of the book of Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippians is one of the most positive works in the New Testament, and today it is still one of the most loved. The theme of the letter, or thesis if you will, is this. When we are united in Jesus Christ, we can truly rejoice. Paul, in this letter, writes to a congregation of God's people whom he loves, people that are dear to his heart, and he wants to thank them for their faithful support of his ministry. And in this letter, he encourages them to rejoice because of the unity that is possible in Christ. Additionally, he explains and demonstrates for them what is necessary to obtain that precious unity. In this episode of the podcast, in order to introduce the letter to the Philippians, we are going to look at Acts chapter 16 to see the beginning of the church in Philippi and to see how that same theme of joyful unity plays out in this chapter. We'll begin in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 6, where we find a somewhat startling statement. Acts chapter 16 and verse 6 says, now when they, being Paul and his companions on this missionary journey, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And so we begin this section of scripture with Paul traveling to preach the gospel. And as he went through towns and cities, he would preach the gospel as he went. But the Holy Spirit forbids him from going into these two locations, into Asia and into Bithynia in verse 7. I wonder perhaps if Paul at this point is confused or discouraged. He wants to go and preach the gospel, and he knows how much people need the gospel. And yet, God is keeping him from going to these locations. Sometimes we can become discouraged when doors seem shut, when it seems like all of our opportunities are being lost. They keep closing to us. But let's continue and see what happens. In verse 8, passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, Paul came down to Troas and then receives this vision, a man from Macedonia calling for help, for aid. And when Paul relays this vision to those with him, they conclude that God was summoning them to Macedonia, that God was calling them to go preach the gospel to the people of Macedonia. 
And so we learn the reason why God had kept them from going into Asia and Bithynia, because they were supposed to go to Macedonia. And so, verse 11, sailing from Troas, they ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. So now Paul and those with him have come to the city of Philippi in Macedonia. You see, sometimes doors of opportunity are shut to us because God is leading us to a different one. And here God leads them to Macedonia through the vision that was given to Paul. Now notice in Paul's vision what is said. The Bible only records for us that the vision included these words, come over to Macedonia and help us. There was no mention of preaching the gospel, yet they concluded that God wanted them to preach the gospel. Now why is that? You see, the greatest way to help anyone in this world is to share the gospel with them. Paul and those who were with him understood that, and they understood the commission of the Lord to go and make disciples of all the nations in Matthew 28 and verse 19. And so that's what they did. As we continue through the rest of Acts chapter 16, we're going to see that theme of unity. We're going to see two primary things in this chapter. We are going to see people who were united by the gospel and then we are going to look at some expressions of that unity. We can consider three contrasting groups which were brought together by the gospel of Jesus Christ in this chapter. The first of these groups is both Jew and Greek were brought together by the gospel. The divide between Jews and the Gentiles, the people of God and the nations of the world, had existed since the establishment of the old law, when God separated the descendants of Abraham to be his special people, his elect nation, to be distinct from the nations around them. Of course, at this point in history, when we come to the age of the church and the time of Christ, that divide had extended to prejudice and racism from the Jews toward those of different nations. And so when the Messiah came, when Christ came, and the gospel was being preached, that cultural and racial divide still existed. And at some points, it harmed the efforts of the gospel. But throughout the book of Acts, we see this thread of the gospel coming to both Jews and Gentiles. It came to the people of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And over the following chapters, we see how it spreads from Jerusalem to the surrounding cities to Samaria. But in Acts chapter 10, by Peter's preaching to the household of Cornelius, the gospel comes to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are brought into the kingdom. But in Acts chapter 11, we see a Jewish pushback against this, because that divide, that separation still existed. And so the Jews pushed back against this. They didn't want to just welcome the Gentiles into the kingdom. In Acts chapter 13, this thread continues as we see some of the Jews rejecting the gospel, rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, while the Gentiles believe and are saved. In Acts chapter 15, this conflict comes to a head. You see, the Jews begin to accept the Gentiles, but some of the teachers attach conditions. You, you Gentiles can be, become Christians. You can be saved but you need to become like us first. You need to be circumcised, and you need to keep the law of Moses if you want to be saved. 
And so these Judaizing teachers were pushing this divide into the church itself. And of course, we can read in Acts 15 how the church responded to that. But we come to Acts 16, and here we see the unifying power of the gospel. Because the gospel is given to both Jew and Greek, to the Jews and the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 16, picking up in verse 13, On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And so here we see Paul and those with him on the Sabbath day, this day that was special and holy for the Jews. They go out to the riverside because they expected that to be a place of prayer. That was customary for prayer to be made there. So they go to the riverside and find these people, these women specifically, who were worshipers of God, as it says of Lydia. These were people with a Jewish background. And they go to them and they speak the message of Christ. They tell them that the Messiah has come. And we read about how Lydia listens to the message spoken by Paul, and she and her household are baptized. And then you see the fellowship, the unity that is brought between Paul and the household of Lydia in verse number 15. And so the gospel is brought to the Jews in the city of Philippi. But as we continue through the chapter, we see how the gospel comes to the Gentiles in this city. And we find Paul, as he is going around and preaching in this city, that there is this girl, a slave girl, who is possessed by a spirit, a spirit of divination, the Bible says. And she follows Paul and those with him and is crying out over days and days, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, Paul, after days of this, becomes annoyed with this continual crying behind him, following him wherever he went. And so he casts the spirit out of her. But there's a problem, because this slave girl was being used for profit with that spirit by those who owned her. And so when her masters see that their profit is gone, they take Paul and Silas, one of his companions, and take them to the authorities and they say in verse 20, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And so in verse 22, the multitude comes against them and tears their clothes off and beats them. And then they put them into prison, and they are fastened with stocks in that prison. But in verse 25, Paul and Silas in prison are praying and singing hymns. To God. And then there is an earthquake quake in verse 26, and the chains of everyone in that prison were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, the jailer, awakes from sleep and sees the prison doors open, and he thinks, well, the prisoners have fled. Now, under a Roman custom, if a jailer on his watch allowed a prisoner to escape, he would be put to death. So the jailer seeks to preempt his punishment. He draws his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul cries out to him in verse 28, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. 
So he runs into the prison in verse 29 and falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brings them out of the prison in verse 30 and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, this jailer in this city had probably heard, perhaps even the cries of that very servant girl, that these were the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed the way of salvation. And after witnessing this great event, this miracle, he looks to Paul and Silas and asks them, What must I do to be saved? They say in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then, verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And so, verse 33, after he washes their stripes, the beatings that had been given to them, immediately he and all his family were baptized. And then in verse 34, he brings them into his house. And so we see the gospel coming to the Gentiles just as it came to the Jews. When Lydia heard the message and heeded the message, she and her household were baptized and then she brought Paul into her house. And when this jailer hears the message and is baptized with his family, he brings them into his house. There is this unity now between Jews and Gentiles. They hear the same gospel message. They respond to the gospel in the same way by being baptized. And they brought, are brought together. They are united together in the church. Jews and Greeks united by the gospel. A second group of people. We see both men and women united by the gospel. We see the jailer with his household as that man who heard and obeyed the gospel. But earlier, going back to verses 13 and 14, when Paul and those with him go to the river, we read that they sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And Lydia was one of those women. Now that might not seem very significant to us, but let's think about the culture of that day. In John chapter 4, we read about how Jesus spoke to a woman, a Samaritan woman, by a well. And in that chapter, we read how his disciples coming back saw that he was speaking with a woman, and they were amazed at that. You see, it was not common practice for that. There was that social hierarchy in place in those days. But when Paul and those with him come to this river, and they find women meeting there, they sit down and they speak with them. And that very thing that the disciples of Jesus had once marveled at, now these disciples of Jesus are doing. They are imitating the Lord. And it's because of the message of the gospel, which brings people together. A third group that is united by the gospel is both slave and free. We think about that young slave girl who was possessed by that spirit, how she was following Paul. She was proclaiming how they were servants of God. And so, the gospel message was being heard by slaves. But it was also heard by those of an entirely different social class. In verse 14, we learn about Lydia, that she was a seller of purple. You know, purple in, that, in those days represented wealth or power. And so Lydia, this merchant, was wealthy. And she heard the gospel. And this young slave girl, who probably had no possessions of her own, being used only for profit by her masters, she heard the gospel too. And so the gospel brought together those of different social classes. And what we find in this chapter is exactly what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. 
In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, on, in the midst of a discussion about how there is no difference between Jews and Greeks because the gospel comes to all, and Paul in this letter is refuting the idea that circumcision and the law of Moses is necessary for salvation. The same idea that came up in Acts chapter 15 and was dealt with there. And in Galatians 3 and verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 16. Both Jews and Greeks, men and women, slaves and free, hear the gospel and have faith. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And again, that's what we found in Acts chapter 16. Both Jews and Greeks, male and female, heard the gospel and were baptized in response to it. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel brings people together. One final note on this idea. Notice the theme of the household in Acts chapter 16. It is Lydia who hears the message spoken by Paul and listens to it in verse 14. But in verse 15, we read, When she and her household were baptized, she then invited them into her home. And it was the jailer who asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? But Paul and Silas expand that from just what he must do. In verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then, verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And in verse 33, he and all who were in his house were baptized. And in verse 34, he brings them into his house. And the text says, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. You see, salvation is a family matter. Yes, salvation is individual, and we shall each give an account to God. We are each responsible for listening to the gospel and obeying the message of the cross. But salvation is about more than that. It's about family. Not only bringing our families together as we see two households who hear and believe the gospel, but bringing all of these people together into the family of God. The gospel unites people. Throughout this chapter, we see various expressions of the unity. We see the hospitality that is shown. In verse 15, Lydia begs Paul and those with him to come to her house and stay with them. She is open with her home, wanting them to have fellowship with her there. And in verse 34, the jailer, after being baptized, brings them into his house and provides food for them. And so he is being hospitable. And in verse 40, after they have officially been released from the prison, they enter once again the house of Lydia and see the brethren and encourage them before departing to move on to Thessalonica in chapter 17. And so we see how these people who were brought together, who were united by the gospel, showed hospitality to one another. I don't believe it is any accident that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 to be given to hospitality in verse number 13. And in that same context, he talks in verses 3 through 8 about being united together in one body. And toward the end of that chapter, he talks about being at peace with one another. You see, unity is expressed in hospitality, in welcoming each other into our homes, treating each other as family. A second expression of unity is compassion. 
You see, even before the jailer is baptized, he takes Paul and Silas and washes their stripes. He saw the pain that was on them, and he sought to relieve them of it. And so hearing the gospel message and being united with Paul and Silas led to compassion for them. Before, as a jailer and these his prisoners, when he put them in stocks, there was no compassion there. But when the gospel united them, they were united in love and compassion. And then we also see the expression of encouragement in verse 40, how they see the brethren and encourage them before leaving, because they had been united together. Following these events, the Philippian church continues to be united with Paul, even from afar. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, Paul speaks of how generous they had been in supporting Paul and those with him when they had need. Moreover, brethren, Paul says to the Corinthians, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and in their deep poverty, they abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear them witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Paul characterizes these brethren as people who were so generous, even beyond what they were able to give, they were willing to give. That's how much they cared for Paul. That's how much they loved him. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 25, we can read about how the Philippians had sent aid to Paul by the hands of Epaphroditus, one of their brethren, and he ministered to Paul's needs. And in chapter 4, in verse 17, Paul says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These were people who loved Paul and were generous in supporting him as he worked to preach the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. The gospel united Paul and the Philippian brethren. They supported him in his work. They helped him to defend the gospel. They were partakers with him of the grace of God. They were his brothers and his sisters in Christ. And Paul loved them. And they loved Paul. And it is with that background from Acts chapter 16 and these events of the Philippians supporting Paul and helping him when he had need that Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And in this letter, he is going to exhort them to greater unity in Jesus Christ, to be focused on the gospel, to be humble with one another, to be focused on Christ and faithful to him, to be selfless and at peace 
with one another. And throughout this letter, constantly, over and over again, we see Paul talking about joy and rejoicing. Because when we are united in Jesus Christ, when the gospel calls us out of the world and the divisions and contentions of the world to unity with one another, both Jews and Greeks, male and female, slave and free, entire households being brought together and being part of one family. When the gospel brings people together with hospitality and compassion and encouragement, with generosity, with sharing, with love, that's what allows for true joy in one's life. That's what allows us as Christians to rejoice, to rejoice always, as 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16 says, to rejoice even in the midst of trials, James chapter 1 and verse 2, to comfort one another in those trials and focus on what really matters, to encourage one another. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not an individual pursuit because the gospel is not just about me. And the gospel is not just about you. It's about bringing us together, gathering us together in Christ. As we read in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he, God, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. God's purpose, even from before the world began, was to bring people together in Christ, to unite them together as part of this family in which we receive this inheritance, that we should be his children and brothers and sisters of one another. And so in the following four episodes, we are going to look through the book of Philippians and see what lessons we can draw from this wonderful book to learn about how we can be united in Jesus Christ and experience true joy. Thank you for listening to the Zeal for Your House podcast. I'm Caleb Griffith, and it has been a pleasure to share thoughts from the Word of God with you today. If you have questions or comments on the episode, or if you are interested in further discussion of today's topic, or if you simply want to learn more about God, Jesus, and the Bible, I gladly invite you to contact me. You can reach me by email at zealforyourhouse217 at gmail.com, or you can find the Zeal for Your House page on Facebook or Instagram and message me there. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.